0: Uh, we did Servant Life earlier this year, and you can catch all of those on podcast if you want to. Our next value after this one will be Passionate Life. We were going to do that in the autumn, but we feel God might have laid something on our heart for the church in autumn, so we're, we're discerning that, and we may be responding to his spirit and doing something else in autumn. We'll tell you about that another time. Uh, and if we do, then we'll do Passionate Life in January in the new year. Um, we're also in the process of planning an exciting lineup of external speakers, guest speakers, who we feel carry something that we want to flow into Junction 10. And again, when that's organised, we will let you know about that. But this series is Missional Life, and we've got a particular emphasis on evangelism. And there are some things that we want you to do if you've been here over the past few weeks. If at all possible, please come to the Sunday services. We've connected the evenings up with the theme of evangelism, and it's a chance for you to go wider and deeper than we can do in the morning. So come in the evening, please. Have you all got your prayer cards? Not with you, but has everyone got a prayer card? Who hasn't got a prayer card? Has anybody not got a prayer? Uh, there's someone over there with their prayer card. We're going to give you one now. If anybody else hasn't had a prayer card. Stick your hands up high and the stewards will come round. You are stewards. John, there's lots round here. We can give you out, thanks. <laughs> now, on, on the back of the prayer card is a small prayer that you can pray. And on the front is the space to write the name of three people. Now, ultimately, those three people are people who you might invite to an Alpha. But we're not laying that on you. All we want you to do is write the names of three people who you can pray for. So can you all pray for three people? Is that okay? So on a daily basis, just look at your card, these three people, say a prayer, the one on the back if you want. And what we're doing is we're asking you to pray that God will open up opportunities for you to talk to that person and maybe to give you the courage and to give you the opportunity to come and invite them to this Alpha course that we're running in September. And where do you think the Alpha course will be? Yes, it's at Living Water in Stafford Street. (laughs) Um, So we're in week three of this series now. Joe introduced uh, the series in week one, and he gave us um, some points about evangelism and, and sort of really highlighted our responsibility to tell people about the good news. Phil Miles last week covered the big questions that people ask about God and about faith and highlighted the importance of the Holy Spirit. This week we're going to be talking about gospel participation when we come to the sermon bit but we are trying each week to get someone from the congregation to come and share a little bit about how they either received faith and and, and how people spoke to them about faith or how they Share their faith with others. And this week, can we have a big hand for Jasmine? Jasmine Coutts is going to come and talk to us. Come on up, Jasmine. Now, Jasmine and I were talking a couple of weeks ago when uh, we were talking about this. and, And Jasmine has got a really interesting ministry on Thursday, church. And we'll come to that in a bit. But first of all, the first question, really, Jasmine, was how you generally, in the past and now, share your faith and have shared your faith with people. How how has that worked for you? And you'll need to hold it there.
1: Well, um, I have always encouraged people. I find that that is really a way into breaking down barriers and supporting individuals in different situations, being kind and generous and really just sharing God's love with those around us in whatever situations we meet them in. Might be walking in the shops, visiting the elderly, and um, comforting those that are in need, really.
0: And and how does that come about, and what sort of reaction do you get when that happens? Well,
1: I don't... Amazingly, I don't really get a negative reaction. Um, People usually either respond verbally positively or non-verbally with a nod and a smile which suits me fine
0: so no one's ever been aggressive no, to you or no. shouted at you no, or it's rejected me. well <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's not really if we can get over that scaredness of how people yeah. might react people are more receptive they than are receptive think they are
1: it's in just general conversation you know greeting oh. someone with a smile and then following that up with the conversation that um, eventually leads to their situation that they're in, that you can then say something that is encouraging, uplifting f- to them.
0: Brilliant. And, and you've got some... Oh,
1: this is for later. Is
0: that for later? Yes. Okay. So tell me a little bit about how sort of that, that sharing you. your faith then developed into Thursday Church.
1: Yeah. Well, in 2004, um, there was an event at J10. Um, Chris and Anne were involved in it. I didn't know what it really was about, but I thought I would investigate. And it was really about the ministry of reaching people with learning disabilities. And they were doing this in various social service centres, and particularly in Goskett. And um, I really felt moved to to be a part of that. Um, The thing that challenged me was I was (laughs) reading Acts 8 verses 30 to 31, where Philip met the Ethiopian eunuch. And um, he said to the eunuch, "Um, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, "Um, how would I know if no one guides me? That really spoke to my spirit. And I felt that um, I should be out there um, saying something. Okay, so, ha- so how
0: did that develop then? What, what happened? So
1: then uh, we set off and I joined with Annie in going to God's I had no idea what I was going to say or do. I only knew I had to obey this inner thing. Um, so we went there and I thought, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm praying, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And, um, and straight away came this response, uh, just tell them I love them. And that's what we do these. Okay, so what are these for? These These are uh, just little stickers that said, Smile, Jesus Loves You. And after the sessions that we have with them, which consist of praying, prayer and worship, um, we do activities with them, um, reading a Bible story and sharing that, watching a DVD of a similar um, story, and doing um, cards and... At Christmas and Easter in particular which depicts uh, birth and death of Jesus and um, at the end of each session we would give them one of these that says you know smile Jesus loves you and there was a particular instant that really stood out for me that was um, so encouraging and really if you would look at it from a different perspective quite transforming because um, At the end of this particular session we um, gave out these stickers and there was a girl in the corner that we'd missed and she ran towards us and she shouted Jesus Jesus me I was absolutely well we were we were stunned and then the carer said she doesn't speak we were absolutely amazed and Our total sort of commitment to what God was trying to enable us to do was just from that moment on. So um, from then on, we we've been doing that since 2004, then 2008, the services in the community changed in the centers, and there weren't enough of us really um, to go out and do the outreach. So that was how Thursday Church started. And um, it's been incredible. Um, We've been in a journey, ups and downs. But in the main, God has been faithful. He has provided for us in every situation. And just at the moment when we think, this is not going to work, he sends someone along, alongside us to work with the gifts and abilities that we need mm. and if that is not encouraging to enable us to go and do it, yeah. what else can there be? Because if we do our bit, God is able to do the rest.
0: A- absolutely and if, if there are people here who um, maybe uh, you know, the Holy Spirit has, has sort of nudged them about what you've been talking about and maybe they want to find a little bit more about Thursday Church and perhaps you know, come along and, yes. and, and, and either get involved or, or help in some way. Yeah. Um, wh- when It happens on Thursday, presumably. Yeah. Um, what, what sort yeah. of time and where does that happen?
1: It's held on the third Thursday of each month at the Church on the Corner at 11 o'clock.
0: So 11 o'clock, Church on the Corner in Bentley, yeah. just round the corner from 323 yes. Wolverhampton
1: yeah.
0: um, at 11 o'clock. Yeah. Okay, and if people were interested to know a little bit more, they...
1: Well, they come and see myself or Anne or Velma.
0: Brilliant. Or
1: just speak to Rachel or one of the others in church.
0: Church, this is about uh, going and meeting Jesus, going and meeting God where he's working, with the broken, with the lost, with the the lonely, with the... You know, that Jesus was always into going out into the community. Yes. Have you got any final words, any, any final sort of encouragement for, for, for the folk here as we think about evangelism?
1: Well, I, personally, I would say to, to everyone, listen to that inner voice. It's very difficult at times to know how to respond. We don't. But we need to just sit and wait on God because he's able to reveal whatever it is he wants you to do. But above all, trust him that when you don't know, he does. He has the answer.
0: Brilliant. Thanks, Jasmine. Can we give Jasmine a round of applause, please? Thanks, Kev. Thanks, Band. Well, this morning, I've got a challenge for you. Everyone up for a challenge? Or maybe not. It's an easy challenge, I promise you. Uh, It's coming up on the screen. Um, It's a question Can you be someone, someone? It's a word I want you to remember participation. And if nothing else, can you remember the three points of the sermon, which is about God's love, God's word, and God's power? Okay? So, can you be someone, someone? Can you remember the word participation and uh, can you remember the three points of the sermon, God's love, God's word, God's power? Before I get into this, just a short aside um, about why old methods might not be as effective these days as they used to be in evangelism because there's been lots and lots of ways of sharing the gospel through the ages. Some have been really, really effective and, and they still are today. Whereas others were relevant for a particular time, but maybe there's been that many changes over the last hundred years, Um, they're maybe not as effective today. So our our denomination, Assemblies of God, has been in existence more or less a hundred years. And in those hundred years, um, there have been lots of changes. So I was hoping the technicalities might just about have got there by now but we're not going to, so I'll run through them. Um, industrialization has been a massive impact on all of our lives, all of our culture. So uh, in the 1800s, Britain went through uh, a massive industrial res- revolution and set the scene for faster and faster and faster change. So I don't know whether we could have the next slide now. Whether that works, yes, excellent. Transport, cars. Does anybody here remember a time when you didn't have a car and when you first got the first car? Yeah? Yeah, I remember my dad getting his first car and I was probably about four, five, six by then. And We hadn't had a car since then. We'd walked, we'd used public transport. Um, But just look at the advances in the transport system, in trains, in planes, in the road system, in motor cars, massive change communication does anyone remember their first telephone do you remember a time when you didn't have telephones I mean you might not think it with all the mobile phones even phones on watches now um, but we're more connected than ever we were before and talking about connectivity how about TV who remembers their first television set Who's still got one of those television sets? <laughs> yeah, But whereas, a long time ago, we used to write letters to communicate, uh, television and the computer and the internet and email has completely revolutionised how we communicate. You can get your thoughts, your opinions, your arguments from a broad source of, 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 of material that's out there. The way we understand the world, our thoughts have changed. Uh, We've had enlightenment, we've had rationalism, we've had modernity, we've had post-modernity, we've had post-rationalism. Now, those might all be a bit academic-y type words, but what it means is the way that we fundamentally see the world has changed. Then there's the different generations, there's the baby boomers, there's generation X, generation Y, uh, generation Z. Each generation having their own different challenges, their own different ways of seeing the world. My mum and dad, who sort of were on the post-war years, dad was born just in the, towards the end of the war, um, they still remember rationing. And they've got freezer after freezer in the garage and Vicky often says, just in case mum and dad listen to the podcast, Vicky often says that if it snowed in, they could live for six months on the food that they've got because they've been so used to it. But that's not the same for Vicky and I because we've got, we've got Tesco's, we've got Sainsbury's, we've got, you know, it, it's no longer a case that you've got to do your shopping. You can go whenever you want, 24-7. Then let's think about the government's attitude to Christianity and legislation. Let's think about Christendom is no longer sort of, you know, no longer prevalent. The church is not the centre of society any longer. The place of worship and prayers in schools has been battered and become less and less and less. Workplaces are becoming harder and people are finding it increasingly difficult to talk about their faith in workplaces because of fear of being suspended or disciplined. People are no longer used to going to church. And they're no longer asking the same questions that they're used to a hundred or so years ago. And they're getting their answers in different ways. You know, in this day and age, for example, lots of people no longer believe in hell. So to say to someone, oh, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell probably isn't as effective as a time when people actually did believe that hell existed. We can't any longer make assumptions that we would have taken for granted a hundred or so years ago. We can't make assumptions about people's experience of the Bible, people's experience of going to church, people's understanding of Christianity. So our message, our gospel message, is timeless and it stays the same, but our methods may have to change. So, if we're going to be effective in evangelism, um, we need to think about that. And I said to you right at the start to remember three things. And the first one, I'm not going to test you. Don't worry, was to be someone's someone. You see, someone changed my life forever. In fact. It was three someones. It was probably more than three someones, but I'm going to talk to you about three ones The first was a teacher, Mr. Thursfield. Don't know whether he's still alive or not, but um, <laughs> we often managed to sidetrack Mr. Thursfield from his A level teaching because we knew all we'd got to do was ask him a question about Jesus or church and he'd be off on one, and that'd be the lesson gone. It was brilliant. The sort of, I'll tell you, the sort of questions we asked him. We were young lads, remember. Um, I won't repeat those. But he would talk to us and talk to us. Now, Mr. Thursfield will never know that I came to faith. But I attribute the journey I've been on, in part, to him being willing to talk about Jesus and church. The second someone was in a company I worked in the, uh, in the 90s. And uh, I'd, I'd called a meeting and I got a group of people around the table and I did a bit of an icebreaker. And the icebreaker was, uh, would you tell me your name, your job, and one fact that other people around the table might not know about you. And we went around the table each, each sharing this. And we got to Bob. I'm Bob Collins, I'm the IT manager, and you may not know... I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. Well, my ears immediately pricked up because I'd been God had been doing something in me, and I'd got really interested in the Holy Spirit. And this Bob person uh, doesn't—I found out later—he never shared his faith at work, but he felt prompted that that should be what he said at that point in time. And God had prepared my heart for it. And so I called him after the meeting. Hey, you a Christian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a Christian. And you follow Jesus? Yeah, yeah. Do you believe in this Holy Spirit thing? Oh, yeah, let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. And over the next few weeks, Bob Collins and I had lots and lots of conversations where I asked him lots and lots of questions about the Holy Spirit and about Christianity. Um, he invited me to his church. He went to Amblecote Christian Centre, one, one of our sort of, uh, sort of sister churches. Uh, and I accepted And I went to hear someone called Lisa Potts. Lisa Potts had had been um, the subject of a machete attack. She was a teacher in a primary school and she protected her kids. That morning she prayed, Lord, you know, I just want to be used in your service. Uh, And it was not long after she'd been attacked and she came and shared her faith. It was amazing. It was brilliant. But I tell you what, these weird folks who put their hands in the air and clapped while they were singing songs, that really put me off. I was used to that sort of... When I was younger, going to that Anglican service where everybody was quiet and you sort of mumbled the hymns, none of this sort of clapping stuff. I was really worried about that. So that was so that was that, so that, was, uh, that was Bob. Um, the final someone um, uh, sort of happened around about the same time as the Bob thing. For about the previous year, he'd come across my path through. Uh, My two daughters, Leanne and Ellie, who were young at the time, and they were at primary school. And they used to play with some children round the corner in a neighbouring street. And I met their dad, a guy called Dave Worrell, a few times. Um, This guy was so positive and so jolly, despite his wife having some really serious medical problems. And he was always willing to help. And he just seemed to have a great big Generous heart. I couldn't. I'd never met anybody like this before. Anyway, invited me to their daughter's baptism. Well, I've been to christenings before, where babies got like a bit of water on the head. But this was a block switch swimming baths. A baptism. This 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 child was going to be fully immersed under the water. I mean, I thought this was the moonies. I thought I was getting into something really really dodgy. So I went back to my mate Bob Collins and said, Bob, Bob. I, I've sort of I've sort of been invited to this baptism. It's at the swimming baths, and Bob said, "Yeah, that's okay. That's okay, is it?" He said, "Yeah, look in the Bible. You know, people were baptised in the okay. It was rivers at the time, but they were baptised in water. You should go along. In fact, why don't you go to an Alpha course? There's a church near you. It's called the Church at Junction Ten, and it'll answer all your questions. And the rest they say is history." You see, redirecting someone's forever can be as simple as asking a question or being there when they need a question answered. So what's your story? Was there someone who spoke into your life? Can you be someone's someone? Is there someone whose life you can speak into? So on the back of that, let's look at the three points of the sermon. So we talked about being someone, someone. We talked about three points of the sermon. God's love, God's word, God's power. And one word, participation. Let's have a look at participating in God's love. You see, God's love is there for you to participate in. But then it's there for you to invite others to participate. And this is the fundamental basis of evangelism. If you don't have love, the Bible says, you're like a resounding cymbal or a clanging gong. In order to receive and share God's love, the most critical thing that we can do in our Christian walk is to abide in him. Be connected to the vine. That's all we have to do. That's all our job is. If you think evangelism is scary or too difficult, all you've got to remember, as Jasmine said earlier, is that your prime, prime purpose is to remain abiding in Jesus and then just to receive his love and to share his love. It's as simple as that. And Jesus said that the two, these two things were the greatest commandment, to love God and to love others. But as well as the greatest commandment as Christians, Jesus also said we had the Great Commission. And if loving God and loving others is the Great Commandment, then what's the Great Commission? Go, make disciples of all the world. The Great Commission. Love God, love others, and make disciples. The Great Commission is a ascending of us into the world You see, it's participation again. God's inviting us to participate in a co-mission, in a commission. And when God gave this commandment, uh, when Jesus gave this commandment, he was talking to disciples who were following him very, very closely. And as I said earlier, that's all it takes to be qualified to share God's love with others is that we're closely following Jesus. Do we have to be really, really, really experienced Christians to share our faith? No, I don't think you do. You look at the demoniac, the, the, the guy who got all those demons. Jesus delivered him. He wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus said, no, go back to your town and tell him. Now, we'd have wanted, we'd wanted to put him through a 10-step program, make sure he was fully delivered. Make sure, But now Jesus just said, I've delivered you, you know me, go and tell others. Think about the woman at the well. He had one conversation with a woman at the well, revealed her heart. She went out and told the, 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 her, her Samaritan neighborhood. We don't have to be really experienced Christians to share our faith. Do you have to be a super mega talented Christian who can highly talk like that to share your faith? No. <laughs> In fact, if you're one of these super mega Christians, one of the dangers is you might be creating a bit too much distance between yourself and other people. Because they might think, well, that's okay for you, but it wouldn't be for me. Do you have to have it all together and have everything sorted? No. And please, please, uh, don't try and pretend that you've got it all together because you're a Christian. People see right through that. Your friends are more drawn to you when the fact they know that you understand their struggles. You see, the only qualification that you need is that you've encountered Jesus, that you've met him, that you've been with him, that you're close to him and that your branch is grafted into his vine. Acts 4, verse 13 said, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, Ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. If we're not participating in the great commandment, if we're not abiding with Jesus, if we're not connected into the vine, then there's a good chance that we will make disciples who are also not connected to Jesus and that's worrying. You see, the good news about this particular gospel is that God does everything. All he asks us to do is participate with him, to get involved. All Jesus says is necessary is for you to abide in him, to remain in the vine, to abide in his love. Everything else flows from that. He said we should be like sheep. We should trust and follow our good shepherd and that his yoke would be easy and his burden would be light. But you know, not remaining in Jesus, not abiding in him, is a bit like a branch that's cut off on the floor trying to create fruit. Do you know how impossible that is? Do you know how much stress that creates when you're trying to do something in your own strength that can only really be achieved by abiding in the vine? If we're not abiding with Jesus, then our evangelism is in danger of being driven by outcomes, by trying to get something we think God wants us to do. And we can make the risk, we run the risk of making converts, but not making disciples. Do you get that? We can make converts, but not disciples. Because what happens is if we're not embraced in fully in God's love, then we become... Defensive rather than vulnerable and open. And I also think there's a fine line in our motivation. We have to check our motivation in making disciples. We need to be careful that we're loving people for who they are and not using them to achieve an agenda of convert making. Uh, And please don't try to persuade others to become a Christian by showing them that when you become a Christian, we have a perfect life. And so we end up covering the bad bits and the mucky bits. How much more attractive is it to hurting broken people rather than to be reminded of how far short they fall of a moral standard, instead to be shown kindness? The scriptures say it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. How refreshing is it to those people to be invited in and participate in a life of love, to be able to see our own hurt and our brokenness, but also see that in the midst of our pain, God is right there with us. That we've got something that they want. And we know that's the Holy Spirit. Vicky and I once spent quite some time uh, with a couple. Uh, we were ministering to them. They'd been through a marriage crisis and they were trying to work through the aftermath. One of the difficulties in that relationship was that the, the, the one of them, the guy, had a particular view of Christianity as the perfect life. But this puts massive pressure on him and his family. So while they were broken and hurting and trying to make sense of things, they'd visit his non-Christian parents and because he wanted them to be Christians he constantly tried to show how perfect their marriage was and what a perfect life they had because they knew Jesus and I can understand the motivations in that but what a sham what extra demands this then placed on already a difficult marriage and you know I don't really think they were fooling anyone And if they were fooling someone, and those people became Christians, what a rude awakening they'd get when they find that actually, rather than a perfect, easy life, you will get trials and troubles and tribulations. Your job isn't to try and create the image of a perfect moral life by hiding all of your imperfections, burying your hurt, repressing your pain, and sweeping your brokenness under the carpet. Rather, it's to bear the image of your maker. Jesus was humble. He was open. And he calls you to participate in the life-giving source of the divine one. And then invite others to participate. You are the carriers of the divine. You are a channel of his peace. On Pentecost Sunday especially, be filled with God. Carry heaven around with you. You are the light of the world. Manifest his love with saltiness. His spirit is deposited in you. God's word is planted in you. So let's look at the next one, participating in God's word. How many times do we see in the Bible the radical significance of the transforming word of God in people's lives. the word comes to Gideon on the threshing floor and despite Gideon believing that he's the least of the least and the weakest God's prophetic word is you are mighty warrior God sees something inside Gideon and calls out a destiny prophetically that Gideon in the natural would never have seen in himself or even believed Without this word, Gideon might still be in the threshing floor. The same happens with Moses when he's called to Egypt and and, and he's told to instruct Pharaoh to let my people go. What's Moses' immediate reaction? All sorts of excuses. But he needed God's prophetic word to release what was inside him and call him into his destiny. Elijah fled from Jezebel until God strengthened him and spoke prophetically to him. And God spoke prophetically to Joshua when he said, Be strong and very courageous. A word that was needed to stand in the trials of the Israelites possessing their promised land. Church, we need to be participating in God's word. We need to be reading in it. We need to be soaking in it. And... We need that word from God in our lives so that we can speak the word of God in others' lives. You see, you never know where the people you meet are in their story with God or on their journey of faith. But you don't have to. God does. Um, Who was here last week? Uh, You remember that Phil Miles, in his interview bit, interviewed Rob Reed. And Rob had given him a Gideon's New Testament and Psalms, a little Bible, and and sort of Rob wanted it back and Phil wanted to keep it. Uh, And and Rob said, you can keep it as long as you use it for evangelism. Well, it's quite interesting because the next day I got uh, an email from Phil and he said he tried to give that Bible to someone, but that someone had said to him, oh, you know, I only read my Gideon Bible that i had been given in 1996. I only read it last Friday. How about that? Phil tries to give someone a Bible, 20 years from being given an original Bible, is that that person's read it. We never know what God is doing in someone's life. Do you remember the picture of the prodigal father when the son returns and the father runs to the son, lavishing undeserved love on him? And this is a reminder to us That no matter how far someone has wandered, there's a way back. That someone is unconditionally loved by the source of life. That someone is loved by God just as you are. Wow, that is good news. And speaking the word of the love of God into someone's life might not get them to accept Jesus there and then. But like Mr. Thursfield, for me, it can be a seed that in time is watered by others and grows without your knowledge. The prophetic word that God speaks through you might just be the Rima word that unlocks that someone's destiny. Hearing what God's saying and then speaking prophetically to people can be an amazing way of activating faith in people's lives. Now, don't misunderstand me. When we're in church, we can be a bit prophetic-y. We can sometimes use strange voices and use strange phrases. I'm not talking about doing that. It might freak people out a bit. But it can be as simple as saying, hey, do you know how precious you are? And do you know that God loves you very much? As Simple as that. Or it might be, you know, I can see that you're really compassionate and kind. You've got a great way with those kids. Do you know God is delighted in the job that you're doing there? Our job in sharing God's word with people isn't just about sharing scripture though, it's to share the living word, Jesus. As Phil said last week, let's create a thirst in people. But then once we've done that, let's help them fall in love with Jesus. It's God's job to transform them. Don't worry about that bit. He'll take care of that bit. So we've talked about God's love and God's words, but words on their own are rarely sufficient to show love. To show love, we have to participate in God's power. And we're coming towards the end, don't worry. Um, In My Fair Lady, uh, the musical based on Pygmalion, uh, there is a song And I I would say Eliza Doolittle sings it to her would-be lover, Freddie, but actually she sings it at him with great venom. Uh, And and I did promise Vicky I wouldn't sing it, so I'll just say it to you. Words, 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 I'm so sick of words. I get words all day through, first from them, now from you. Is that all you blighters can do? Sing me now song, read me now rhyme, don't waste my time. Show me. Show me. Eliza Doolittle and the rest of the world wants an authentic expression of love. Show me. It's not good enough just to say, Eliza wants to be shown. Our job is to share the living word, but it's essential we do it from showing, not just telling. And to do that, we... Junction 10 needs to be an alive church. Do you get that? We need to be an alive church. We need to be a church where Jesus is still doing the same things today that he did when he walked the earth in the flesh. We need the power of the Holy Spirit every time we meet together, to uplift us, to refresh us, and to empower us. You see, no individual can do this on their own. We are a body, the Bible says, with a body of Christ. And we have to be grafted and connected into the vine together. You know, I was reminded of a comment that was made last year when a good friend said, you and Vicky are God's love with arms And legs on. And sometimes people just need you to be God's love with arms and legs on. This is the power of the gospel. Jesus healed people, and it was always a demonstration of God's love and God's power. John 9, verse 3, when they were talking about the person who'd been healed who'd been blind from birth, Jesus. It was not because of his sins. Or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. And tonight, we start a two-part series on power evangelism. Now, if that sounds a bit of a funny phrase, pick up your copy of Inside News, and there's a little bit about power evangelism in there. Uh, But tonight, we'll be starting the series talking about your supernatural inheritance. Please come. I, I, I'd love you to come and to hear about um, you know, the, the, the way that the supernatural has to work when we're thinking about evangelism. You see, the real breakthrough in evangelism occurs when we begin to look for the power of God already working in someone's life, and then we partner with that. If we as a church can just follow Jesus' model of only saying what we hear the Father saying, and only doing what we see the Father doing, then we will be operating in power. Finally, a word about process, then a short video clip. Jesus talked in parables about the kingdom of God. He talked about a man scattering seed on the ground and regardless of whether that man sleeps or wakes up, that seed sprouts and grows And the man doesn't know how it happens, but it produces grain. And then at the right time, the man takes a sickle to it because the harvest has come. Jesus talked about a field with good and bad seeds planted and growing together. He likened the kingdom to a small mustard seed that gradually grows into the largest of garden plants with big branches. He said that the word of God was like four soils scattered. Some were scattered along the paths and the bird came and snatched it away. Some was planted in rocky places where the the ground was shallow. Some was planted amongst thorns that choked it. And some was planted in good and fertile soil and produced a harvest. So when you take your prayer cards and you pray about someone, and when you speak to someone, Remember that you might be just cultivating the soil in their heart. Or maybe you might be planting a seed. Perhaps you're watering a seed that someone else planted. Or maybe even that person had a seed planted 20, 30 years ago and they're ripe for a harvest and you might be the harvester. When I think about my own story, those three people I mentioned, the people who participated and played a different part of the process several decades ago, I realise that faith is a process of participation. A thousand small steps, punctuated with those times when we look back and realise, wow, is this how far we've come? A lifetime of healing punctuated with moments of deliverance. So... Make a phrase, your meditation." This may take a while. It's a process. Trust the slow work of God and celebrate those points where there's revelation, the small steps to be towards toward someone's growth. And perhaps, in this series, you might be someone, someone who unexpectedly and by coincidence, gets the chance to invite them to the coming. Alpha course.
1: Welcome to Alpha.